You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Brett Summy, the Chief Resident in the Department of Dermatology at Drexel University College of Medicine in Philadelphia. Dr. Summy has a strong interest in rheumatic skin diseases and the treatment of pruritus. Welcome. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Dr. Summy, what is acute cutaneous lupus? Well, I think that most of your listeners as primary care providers are well aware of systemic lupus erythematosus, which is a connective tissue disease and simply stated, it involves immune dysregulation that leads to the creation of autoantibodies to host proteins. These autoantibodies then in turn affect numerous organ systems in the body, and one of those organ systems is the skin. I would say that if I asked any of your listeners, they would probably know the most common skin manifestation is the butterfly rash. And this rash is the what we in dermatology refer to as acute cutaneous lupus. In dermatology, we define the other forms of cutaneous lupus as subacute cutaneous and chronic cutaneous. The butterfly rash, or malar erythema, is the hallmark manifestation of systemic lupus erythematosus. This is present in all patients with acute cutaneous lupus. Nearly all of these patients with the malar rash will meet the ACR, which is the American College of Rheumatology, their criteria for systemic lupus erythematosus. There's 11 criteria, and it requires four of the 11 to make the diagnosis, and nearly all patients with acute cutaneous lupus do have the four. And which four are they? Well, it can actually be any of the four. However, the malar rash is one of them, and photosensitivity is another. So pretty uniformly, they'll have these two. Another common one they have is a high anti-nuclear antibody titer, and then any of the others from arthritis to anti-double-stranded DNA antibodies oral ulcers, any of those they could have. What is the differential for acute cutaneous lupus? I'll tell you that clinically the way that this rash appears is that it involves the cheeks and the nasal bridge. These are red plaques and sometimes they'll be edematous, meaning swollen, and which makes the lesions sort of firm. Uh, occasionally it'll have some scale to it and it's usually not pruritic, not itchy. One important thing about when people are examining this uh, eruption is that it does not involve the lateral nose and the nasal crease, so where the nose meets the cheek, tends to spare that area, which is very helpful in terms of the differential diagnosis. Of course, acute cutaneous lupus can appear anywhere that the sun uh, hits the body, such as the chest, the shoulders, the hands, and the arms. In addition, it's helpful to look around the nails because just uh, proximal to the nail, these patients can sometimes have some dilated capillaries, which can be helpful in the diagnosis of acute cutaneous lupus. So back to your original question, what is the differential diagnosis? Well, there are many things that we see in dermatology, that people who have red, red cheeks, red faces, and oftentimes this can be confusing to the primary care physician. The two most common things, you know, far more common than acute cutaneous lupus are rosacea and seborrheic dermatitis. Both of these conditions cause red cheeks and sometimes red around the nose. As I mentioned before about acute cutaneous lupus is that it tends to spare that lateral nasal fold, whereas these two entities actually involve that area, which is quite helpful. 
two other, you know, further down in the differential are phototoxic drug eruptions. And usually these, you can ask the patient, you know, if there's been any new medicines that they've been started on. And then, of course, after sun exposure, it's uh, pretty clear that that's the etiology. Last one would be dermatomyositis. And this condition tends to be localized more around the eyes than on the cheeks. And doctor, tell me, how do you go about evaluating these patients? Well, one thing that can be done for certain to tell what the rash is is to take a biopsy of the facial eruption. However, it's often unnecessary because if patients do have the malar eruption, nearly all these patients will have ACR criteria for systemic lupus. So they're going to have other sequelae of the disease that doctors are going to be able to find. One of the chief things that we do is, is, is lab work, and we'll get anti-nuclear antibody, which is nearly always positive. I will, as an aside, just talk a little bit about the anti-nuclear antibody test. Commonly, we will get referrals from outside physicians for a patient, let's say, that has rosacea, and they had checked an ANA, and it's positive with a titer of 1 to 40. And I will just say that 30% of the general public has ANA positivity at 1 to 40. And even at 1 to 160, 5% of the normal population has. So I would encourage your listeners that unless the ANA is 1 to 160 or higher, to not consider it positive. However, if the ANA is 1 to 160 or higher, then we'll usually check a double-stranded DNA antibody and an anti-Smith antibody as well. One important thing, if these patients are young females who are considering to become pregnant, uh, it's important to check an anti-Rho antibody, which is also called an SSA antibody, because this antibody is able to pass through the placenta to a fetus, and that antibody is responsible for neonatal lupus. So if a patient is Rho positive, it might be important to let certainly their OBGYN know that if they decide to become pregnant. Another thing to do for those patients would be to check antiphospholipid antibodies, which are in some women have been known to cause recurrent miscarriages. And there's not just one test for an antiphospholipid antibody. You have to actually check three, one of which is called the lupus anticoagulant test. Another one is anti cardiolipin antibody, and the third one is beta-2 glycoprotein antibodies. So after checking the ANA, the next thing to do is to check a urinalysis, and basically you're looking for proteinuria and a cellular cast. Proteinuria of 2-plus or 3-plus would be significant. We also check complete blood chemistries, looking for either anemia, leukopenia, or thrombocytopenia. And then occasionally these patients can have elevated erythrocyte sedimentation rates as well. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is dermatologist Dr. Brett Summy. We are discussing acute cutaneous lupus. Are there any specific cutaneous treatments for these patients? There are, actually. Uh, that's quite important for your listeners to know is that all of these patients are basically going to be seen by numerous specialists, uh, most commonly rheumatologists and nephrologists, depending on if they have kidney disease. And the medicines used to treat systemic lupus for the extracutaneous manifestations are typically prednisone and other immunosuppressives, such as azathioprine, cyclophosphamide, mycophenolate mofetil, for example. And while these medicines do wonders for the uh, overall course of this disease, they're not always so great for the skin. 
And I can just tell you an example of a patient that I've just seen in this in the last week who has been treated for years for systemic lupus, and this was the first time that she'd seen a dermatologist. And she'd never been treated topically for some of the rash that she had from the lupus. And we got a call just two days ago just saying how grateful she was that we were able to clear up her rash. And so typically what we use topically is corticosteroids and you have to be careful. You know, the, obviously the stronger corticosteroids are more effective. However, they also have cutaneous side effects. Sort of some of the newer topical agents, topical calcineurin inhibitors, there's two on the market. One is called Elidil and the other Protopic. We typically use Protopic because we think it's a little more efficacious, but that one is nice because it probably has the efficacy of a medium-strength steroid without the side effects. Those medications actually do have a black box warning, though. It's the first black box warning that the FDA has ever put on a drug for a potential danger. And what's the danger? The potential danger is report of possible lymphoma. The way that they arrived at that is they were actually treating laboratory animals orally instead of topically, and it was a thousand times the dose that you would give persons in a certain percentage of those animals developed lymphoma. And it's sort of interesting because they actually use these medicines orally to treat organ transplant patients, and they know that there is an increased risk of that orally, but we in dermatology certainly don't think topically that that's an issue. And then more on treatment, also anti-malarial medications orally and thalidomide orally, both of those medicines, they aren't very effective at all for systemic lupus, extracutaneous symptoms, but they uh, can do wonders for the skin. So those are just a few things that we as dermatologists can do to help these patients. So I didn't realize you can still get thalidomide. Absolutely. It's an oldie but a goodie. Most people remember it for its teratogenic side effects years ago, but it requires something called the STEPS program, which a physician has to register with to be able to get that medication. But it has a few side effects that are important to know. I mean, the most important is that you want to encourage the patients, certainly of childbearing potential, uh, that they cannot become pregnant on this medicine. But other side effects are that it can increase the rate of blood clots. And so, you know, certainly if these patients are antiphospholipid positive, you'd probably want to stay away from it. I want to thank our guest today, dermatologist Dr. Brett Summy. We have been discussing acute cutaneous lupus. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.